0: Welcome to the Vets First Podcast, a research-based conversation centered around the VA healthcare system, its services, and patients. From Iowa City, Iowa, here's your hosts, Dr. Levi Sowers and Brandon Ray.
1: Welcome back to the Vets First Podcast. Today we have uh, Thomas Zampieri. He's the past president of the Blinded Veterans Association of America. Uh, He serves on multiple DOD grant review panels, and has recently been appointed to the VA National Research Advisory Council, which is a congressionally mandated council to advise research at the VA. Uh, He's a former army veteran and who who served during the Vietnam era, and he was an army medic. Welcome to the Vets First podcast, Tom. It's really great to have you.
2: Yeah, thank you for the invitation to, to be on the podcast.
1: Perfect. Awesome. Boom. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> we got so, that over with.
0: So they cut that part and they'll put it at the beginning of our conversation at, and cut out our mumbles and stuff. They do <laughs> a really great job making the sound. Piece. Yeah. <laughs> and,
2: yeah. I, they told me with the CDMRP when they did the video, um, by the way, they said, keep, you know, because I started to, to go into too many details and they said, no, keep it, you know, like one minute response.
0: I had to to learn how to not fill dead space with mumbles or saying uh, because if you have like a good quiet dead space it's a good spot for them to cut and puzzle pieces together so that's stuff I'm working on (laughs) so and
2: uh, and then uh, blinded veterans association you you did the uh, 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 when we when we testify in front of Congress, by the way, all of them say blind veterans of America, Uh and and uh, because all the other like paralyzed veterans of America and disabled American veterans, for, for whatever reason, our founding forefathers in 1945 didn't want to be Blind Veterans of America. They said Blind mm-hmm. Veterans Association. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just so you know, it's, 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 you know, some of our members get all like perturbed I, you know, I, when I've testified in front of Congress and they make, they say, blind veterans of America, I just smile and say, okay. (laughs) My apologies. No, no, no. Yeah. Just in case when you start to interview the other veterans, they'll, some of them are more sensitive. I I don't really care.
1: (laughs) No, that's fine. You know, I think, I think that's actually really important because, you know, we, we've moved away in the field of migraine from calling my. people with migraine migrainers and like you know they you know people don't want to be identified by what has yeah. happened yeah. and that's and what they suffer from and so I think that's an important point to make and we'll probably include this in the podcast Tom if that's okay. I think sure is- sure sure sure, sure. yep yeah. okay, we're cool. good. You know, I looking at your uh, history here a little bit before we got on, you're like a renaissance man. You've like done everything. You've got a PhD, you served in the army, you have continued to advocate for veterans uh, in multiple ways. How did you get to this point? Where did you come
2: from? Oh, yeah, uh, uh, that's a great question. I, I started out with an interest in, in um, I started actually as an emergency medical technician working on ambulances up in very rural parts of New Hampshire in Vermont. Mm-hmm. And I was only 17 years old and um, I basically...
1: Is that where you, you know, grew up at?
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and so I was, I grew up in an area where there was a very, uh, you know, big um, rural area where there was a lot of shortages of, of physicians, and, and um, especially specialists. And so that had an impact on me. And anyway, after I had, worked as, for a year as an emergency medical technician, I volunteered to join the army because I wanted to be able to be a medic and get that training. And then I, all, I had met a uh, individual who was a physician assistant who had a profound impact on me. And I thought, what a great career. And so I went into the army, served three years as an army medic uh, at different hospitals. I worked in an emergency room at one military hospital in New Jersey. After I finished my three years, I applied to physician assistant program in Philadelphia and started um, the PA program there at at, uh, Hahnemann Medical college in 1976 and completed the PA program and then went on to work for 20 25 years as a physician assistant and so that was my you know life's plan and then retinitis pigmentosa uh, my vision kept getting worse and worse. As, as you're aware, my peripheral vision kept constricting. And so all of a sudden, at the age of 46, I no longer felt I could safely practice as a physician assistant. My, my visual fields were down to like 10 to less than 20 degrees
1: what kind of, um, like, if, if I can ask a more yeah. personal question here, what kind of impact did that have on your life when you came to that realization that you couldn't do what you wanted to do?
2: Huge. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, uh, speaking as a person wearing a white coat and a stethoscope, I did surgery for over 20 years and I did emergency room trauma. I did orthopedic uh, injury trauma for a whole year um i did neurosurgery so i was sort of a type a personality mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the surgeons that i worked with were aware that my vision was getting worse but they wanted me to be able to continue to work so i stopped actually going into the operating room and i spent all my time in the clinic but i was even having trouble eventually just going into the patient rooms and and not seeing people in the hallway and, and some you know all of a sudden I realized this is getting dangerous I'm gonna you know um, not see something and and, and so I, I went down and, and visited with the Vist the the VA's uh, visual impairment service team coordinator at the yeah. VA where I was working and I went down there and I sat down in a chair and I told, and he knew uh, me and knew my RP was getting worse. And, and suddenly he said to me, he said, Tom, you know, let's get visual fields. And, and we scheduled that. And I came back afterwards of a couple of weeks later and sat down and and he said, you know, you're, you're legally blind. And it just hit me, you know, suddenly you're confronted with that. Mm -hmm. And he said, "Um, you know, what are you going to do? And I just broke down in tears. I said, I've spent, you know, from the time I was 17 to 47 years old, taking care of people and taking Mm -hmm. care of patients. And now I can't, what am I going to, you know, and he said, and I'll never forget this. He says, if, well, back up, Tom, if, if you hadn't gone into the medical field and become a PA and, and all that stuff, what, what else would you have done in life? What were you, what other interests did you have? And I said, well, I've always been interested in history and I thought once of, of, you know, being a history teacher and, and I have a real, real big interest in politics. So he said to me as I stopped the tears, he said, well, why don't you go back to college and, and get a degree, at, you know, get your master's degree. So that's what I did. I went back and got a, <laughs> I, I, I left the VA in July, medically retired after 20 years. And the end of August, I started in a master's program in political science and a minor in history. You wasted no time there. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, you know, and I think it was looking back a good thing because if I had just retreated, like a lot of people do when they get they realize that they're blind. You know, you, you, a lot of bad things start to happen, but instead I got I got thrown into, you know, uh, a university campus and going to classes. And and it was weird because, of course, I was the 47 year old and all my classmates were 23 or 24 year old graduate students. Anyway, I, uh, So I finished my master's degree in political science and just couldn't stop because some of my professors said, Tom, you've got a real passion for politics. And when we when we had class debates and stuff. So why don't you get your Ph.D. and then you you could teach you you could teach at a university or something. Um,
0: Education is slippery.
2: So you were like
1: you were like 47 starting a Ph.D. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I can't
2: imagine.
1: <laughs> I'm 37 and I can't imagine doing that school. It's just like, oh, Lord. Oh cool Lord.
2: So, so <laughs> I had um, a lot of when I was an employee. Uh, Backtrack a little bit. I was also the national president of the Physician Assistant Association. And so I did a lot of congressional visits. Mm-hmm. And I worked with a lot of the veteran service organizations. And so if there's another little piece to this whole life story, I ended up, I used to go to Washington, D.C. about three or four times a year. And I would meet with members of the House and Senate. But I would also go in and network with the different veterans organizations. So I went into the Blind Veterans Association, to talk to their executive director about some policy issues in regards to uh, employment uh, in the VA for physician's assistance. And so we talked about that for about 10, 15 minutes and he was very supportive. And then he said to me, Tom, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm finishing up a PhD in political science. And he said, so you're an army medic? Yeah. You served three years. Yeah. And you worked for the VA for almost 20 years. And I said, yeah. And, you know, all the different veteran service organizations. Yeah, I know American Legion, VFW, you know, Purple Heart, all those different organizations. I know most of the members of Congress in the House and Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. And Tom Miller was executive director. And he said, you're hired. And I said, what 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 are you talking about? He said, well, we have an opening for the director of government relations for the BVA here in Washington, D.C. And I said, I don't have my resume with me. And he says, you don't need to. You're hired.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You just spoke your resume. That's awesome.
2: So so I went to work in April of 2005 and I worked through till November 22nd of 2013. For nine years, I was the the director of government relations representing the Blind Veterans Association with the VA and Congress and and, um, the other federal agencies. And um, so I actually finished my PhD that first year that I, I was still, you know, uh, trying to finish the program while yeah. I was working full time for BVA, and so that—that's kind of, you know, the nutshell of how Tom Zamperi ended up where where I where I did. And, and currently, I live in Houston. Uh, we moved back to Houston, Texas, in 2013 because of family and um, so um, I continued to serve on the BVA's board. I got elected to the BVA's board of directors in 2014 and and served uh, in a variety of officer positions and for the last two years I was the national president of the BVA until August of
0: 2021. Great. So, so so Tom, with your involvement with the Blind and Veterans Association, can you tell us a little more about the association? Like what, what kind of sets them apart from the other groups, um, aside from the, uh, uh, the vision aspect?
2: Uh, well, you know, um, the history of the BVA, you know, goes back to actually it's their 77th, anniversary goes back to March 28, 1945. And I think what's always been unique about the BVA is the fact that it, the organization was started by World War II um, combat-blinded veterans. And they were concerned about um, the Department of Defense had a couple hospitals for, for rehabilitation. But once you were discharged from the military medically, there was, you couldn't, there was no other follow-up you know, for rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. So our founding members worked passionately to get the VA to establish the, the first of the blind rehab centers in at Heinz in Chicago, of course. And now there's 13 blind rehab centers. So over the 70 years, I think you know BVA has, has played an integral role in, in improving different types of veterans benefits programs and services. And they've also worked very closely with the VA on both low vision and, and blind rehab services. And so now, of course, there's the, it's, it's, you know, pretty large, you know, there's the visor programs, there's the 13 blind rehab centers, Mm -hmm. there's the victors programs for um, low vision optometry. And so um, when you, when you look back at this, how everything is, is grown, you know, BVA, has always worked closely with the other veteran service organizations in order to get those types of um, advances made. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So one thing I really wanna ask you is what kind of unique perspective did serving in the military give you? And why did you end up at the VA in particular? You were a PA, you could have gone anywhere. Was it the service that you did? That wanted you to go, that made you go to the VA, how'd
2: that work? Oh, yeah. Um, Boy, that's a great question, too. I was, um, (laughs) I, uh, you know, the first five years I was a physician assistant, I actually worked uh, in the private sector. I worked at a university hospital, I worked at a private hospital. Um, I did, um, you know, uh, I actually worked for the state of New York for a year as a PA. But then um, I missed that connection with other veterans. Yeah. And so uh, in 1983, uh, a really good friend of mine who had been a Navy corpsman said, you know, there's, there's some PA openings at, at the hospital in Canandaigua, New York. And if you want to apply, we'll go down and, and, you know, and one thing led to another. And so I, I, they hired me and, um, it, it was, it was in the 1980s, you can imagine I was meeting World War I veterans who mm-hmm. were elderly, but they were in, you know, to, and, and of course, you know, thousands of World War II veterans, Korean War veterans, and i just felt like i could relate to them you know yeah. as as a veteran to another veteran and the fact that i was their their clinical provider and i and, and when they knew that i was a veteran they they the trust seemed to go way up Yeah. Uh, Even though, you know, my my colleagues were who had never served were, you know, extremely, you know, uh, talented, you know, clinicians, there's that bond, uh, you know, the band of brothers. Mm -hmm. And and I think um, it veterans um, speaking as a veteran, when I go into the VA in, a, in a, it sounds biased, but if I'm able to see another veteran, you, you just know that they understand what, sure, you know, yeah, what what you've been exposed to in both environmentally and physically, and, and I think um, there's a, a, a you know, automatic um, connection with with those with those providers Mm -hmm.
1: yeah that's that's great that's a great answer um one thing that i've noticed about the bba is it's very interested in research and promoting research uh why what's the importance to you for research and what what role does it play in a veteran's life do you think
2: yeah, I, um, I'm sort of unique, I guess, in the sense that because of my medical past background, and then as I sort of helped actually drive the, the BVA towards being a stronger advocate organization for research, mm-hmm. because also I was heavily influenced from 2005. To 2013 in Washington, D.C., you can imagine all of the casualties that were coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan that were going to Walter Reed Army Medical Center and Bethesda National Navy Medical Center. Back then, the two hospitals were just full of wounded, and I recognized that the Department of Defense probably didn't have as much funding for ocular trauma um, research as we felt was necessary considering that 14% of all of the wounded that were evacuated had sustained some type of eye injuries. And so um, representing BVA, I I felt that we needed to advocate for more research funding, both in DOD and in the Department of Veterans Affairs. And even I helped advocate for National Eye Institute because a lot of the members of the BVA have age-related degenerative eye conditions. And so I think from the perspective that you want to have research that's going to hopefully find new treatments for the, the young soldiers or Marines who come back with a penetrating eye injury or a traumatic brain injury with vision dysfunction, um, those service members, you, you hope that the research for acute trauma will help prevent complications. And then for other veterans in the system who have already developed complications, retinal detachments or corneal problems or traumatic cataracts, or they've got age-related degenerative conditions, you know the research that the VA does is critical to, to finding new treatments for those, those types of problems. And so um, we I'm proud of the fact BVA is, you know, through their advocacy um, has seen, you know, the budgets increase (laughs) um, from Congress for the different agencies and NEI at NIH and and VA's research budgets have gone up and and, um, DOD, the vision research program is $20 million a year. Um, And and so the, um, you know, there's actually an organization called Friends of VA Research that that we participate with. It's all the different veteran service organizations that advocate for the research um, together.
0: So so Tom, given the Prevalence of vision problems, to vets. You're talking about uh, like TBI related vision problems, like penetrating eye vision problems. What would you say are the vision problems are that you would uh, attribute to being unique to vets versus uh, the civilian population?
2: You know, we, we've got um, a lot of blast related tra- traumatic brain injuries with vision dysfunction that is the the published papers in research journals show that um you know the public thinks concussions like from football players is a good example causes you know different types of you know problems um but veterans who have been exposed to blasts they're degenerative um, sensory problems are much worse than than the civilians who have concussions like from a car accident or something from blunt mm-hmm. trauma. Um, and so I've actually you know when you when you look at NFL players or uh, N- NHL players in the hockey you know they, their complications are usually in their late 30s or 40s. Veterans exposed to sh- the shock waves from blast pressures have um, almost immediate complications that, that result in vision loss. Um, and, and, and so it's a uh, markedly different type of a concussion than, than, uh, you know, someone who falls down, you know, stairs or somebody who's, like I said, been like in a car accident and had blunt trauma. Um, there's an awful lot about blast energy pressure ways to the brain and the visual pathways yeah. We're just now discovering. In fact, through through the research that you all are doing there at the VA in Iowa City, it's it's really critical because the the importance of this research is you you know is the sooner you can diagnose that there's actually um, been a, a traumatic brain injury from a blast. Um then of course the earlier you intervene with hopefully new medications uh, and and new treatments or or surg- surgically um, the the better your outcomes will be um, you, and and so I think um, it's important I you know serve on uh, international veterans research organization. Uh, Bravo Victor. And what we're trying to do is compare the the British service members that were exposed to to blasts in Iraq and Afghanistan with our American cohort of veterans uh, to see if there's any differences in different age groups and also between male and female veterans
1: Mm
2: -hmm. so so about 14 percent of
1: good questions
2: yeah yeah of american veterans are female Mm -hmm. and the bva has you know um, female members that that were exposed to blasts that are blind and the the uk it's interesting about 10 percent of their military are females Mm -hmm. And so what we're hoping to do in our research data analysis is to see, you know, are, are there similarities and also, of course, looking at what what types of complications occur um, in, in those populations. And so the frightening thing that they've found in England with the veterans over there exposed to blasts is um, they tend to develop early onset dementia type symptoms. And and so that complements the research that's been done at the VA in Boston with the the brain injury research. Yeah. Uh, You know, and and so it really starts to tie TBI also into... The symptoms of PTSD yeah and, yeah and so um,
1: there's a high correlation between TBI or exposure to TBI in veterans
0: and PTSD
2: right and and so the the neurological complications of the brain injury presents often as you know uh, I can't concentrate mm-hmm. or a patient will say I can't remember Um, so they can't work because they get frustrated, or they also, in the research that Bravo Victor is doing, um, we're actually doing clinical studies in England um, with um, the sleep disorders. Uh, Interestingly, a lot of the traumatic brain injury veterans complain that they, they can't sleep at night. And and then during the day, they, they're, they're drowsy and, and, and again, it it complicates everything, whether you're trying to go back to college or whether you're trying to have a job, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so we're looking at um, the sleep circadian cycles and how, how we could possibly try to, um, you know, come up with new treatments for that.
1: So uh, just a couple more questions for you. Yeah. Um, one I think is, is a bit sensitive. And what would you tell a veteran that was previously had 100% vision and then loses their vision? Um, it, to me, being naive to it, to be quite honest with you, being ignorant, it, it would seem quite traumatic. Uh, to go from 100% vision to no vision.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, you you've had a unique experience where you've yeah, you, you still I, I don't know your your individual case but I think you still have some vision. Mm-hmm. And and you know while that is traumatic what would you tell a veteran that experiences this or is beginning to lose their vision? You know, what what would you tell them? How like what should they should obviously they should seek care for that. But okay. What what would you say to them coming from your perspective?
2: So I dealt with both the the older veterans who had Mm age-related degenerative early onset vision loss. And I think that key is, um, and and then I've dealt with, of course, out at Walter Reed Army Medical Center and at Bethesda Naval Medical Center, I had a, a. Pure visits, because I think um, you know, being able as a blind veteran to go in and talk to an individual who's had a sudden traumatic injury, and they wake up and suddenly, you know, the ophthalmologists have done maybe three or four or five surgeries. And after a couple of weeks, they're told we just can't restore the vision because there's just been so much damage, you know, and, and and you, the the reaction that they have is there's life is over. Mm -hmm. And so in those peer visits that, that I did on, you know, blinded veterans association, and even in England, (laughs) when I, uh, we had an exchange program where we would go over once a year and meet with the British blind veterans. If you can connect with them and let them know that there's rehabilitation training and that you can learn orientation mobility skills, you can learn you know, um, um, living skills, how, how, how to cook, how to, how to do things in your house, um, computer access training in the technologies have evolved so that people can. Um, I got one Army blind veteran who's climbed mountains all around the world. He's climbed five of the tallest mountains on five different continents, and he he said to me, "Tom, if I've got my cre- my Visa card and my iPhone, I could go anywhere in the world." And fun- That's awesome. yeah. and function and it's incredible um, but I, I think um, getting back to the you know your question um, what's important is that they providers will often make the mistake of telling a patient who's got vision loss whether it's acute or whether it's a degenerative condition they'll say, we're sorry, there isn't anything more, quote, that I can do for you, meaning I can't give you a pill that will restore your vision. Or they, it comes across, though, as there's no hope. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do and other blinded veterans try to do is convince that individual that once you've been introduced to, to vision rehabilitate, rehabilitative specialists, and you've actually first time picked up a white cane with that orientation mobility specialist, and you learn how to navigate. Then you suddenly start to check off the things that you thought you'd never be able to do again. And, and so uh, I, I had a Marine at, who was a uh, 22 years old who came back from Afghanistan. And um, I went out to visit him, you know, maybe this is a good way to kind of end the stories. And um, the doctors out there, at Walter Reed asked me to come out and visit him because he was just profoundly depressed. Um, after they had told him that there wasn't anything else surgically that they could do to restore his vision is, right eye was gone, his left eye he had two degrees of central vision. So he tells this story to, to individuals still today. I, I walked in his room in 2000, 2011, it was like in January, and and I went and he said, I'll never forget, I heard the tap, 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 and I didn't know what it was. And you come in my room and you introduce yourself and you say, hi, I'm Tom zampuri I was an army major. Um, I, I, I'm blind and I'm here to visit you. And, and um, so I talked to Tim about what, to, what I went through with rehabilitative training and computer training and orientation, living skills, all that stuff. And did I participate in recreational events and kayaking and all that stuff? And so after 15 minutes, Tim says, how'd you get here? And I says, what? And he said, how did you get here to the hospital? And I said, well, I work in the city in Washington, DC. And I took the bus and went over to the Metro subway system got on the train, came out, Georgia Avenue exit, and then I walked four blocks over to the hospital, to Walter Reed, to come see you. And he stood up at the side of the bed, and he said, you did all that just to come visit me? Why would, what? that's incredible. You know, and you, you're by yourself? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you learn... You learn certain routes, you learn certain bus schedules, you learn certain you know things to get around and you can do it. And so he said, I had never met a blind person before. I'd never had a family member who was blind. I never had any friends who were blind. So Tim was the first blind person I ever knew. And Tom, you're the second blind person I've ever known. And you can do all this. I guess i could learn to do it all
1: hmm. yeah
2: that's awesome <laughs>
1: that's a good story yeah you know it just takes sometimes it just takes one thing to trigger their their mind you know yeah and and, yeah. and to, to give them hope and I, I think that's
0: really important
1: and i think yeah. Brandon's
0: gonna follow up with our fun questions oh yeah well, after that that very poignant story well Don, we always we always gotta ask uh what do you do for fun
2: oh uh actually i'm i'm kind of one of these crazy walkers um I used to run, um, and and I was pretty good. I I could do four miles in twenty-seven minutes. But as you get older, you realize that's not an easy thing for your knees and joints. So
0: I I, I, I just I just realized I'm old.
2: Yeah, (laughs) but I do a lot of walking, and um, my physician, primary care doctor, is always joking. Because I do, on average, eight miles a day. And, and I joke that that when you deal with Congress a lot, you need a stress relief. And so it's, I, used to, I used to walk a lot in Washington, D.C., too. So I would, you know, the old Fitbit thing, everybody tries to get 10,000 steps a day. Mm-hmm. Well, I average 24,000. So I'm doing... <laughs> I'm doing probably eight miles a day. Um, and so, you know, but I I like to kayak, um, you know, and, and um, oh, you know, um, I, I, you know, uh, obviously spend an awful lot of time looking at research articles and stuff in order to try to keep up with the different things. Um, you know, and so
1: I, I